At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. I think that when somebody does demonstrate that they are a risk, the adult, uh, or, or an older child for that matter, we need to take additional steps, not simply say, well, this person has gone to the altar and so they've been fully restored. And so now I want to make them look bad or feel bad. So we'll put them, we'll let them continue because this is now under the blood. Yes. And yes. You know, I heard Sarah Fry say, if it's under, sometimes under the blood means under the rug. And, no. you know, we very good. Very good. a situation where we're allowing kids to continue to be victimized by not, uh, by not speaking to the issue. Setup tonight. We do. I'm gonna have to lean in my mic. I don't know if I like this. Going back to some of the early days. I know. Like <laughs> we don't have those fancy ones. I have the stands, and we can just like play with them, like all while we're talking. Yeah. Now it has to be on the table, just stationary. Yes, indeed. We got a packed episode this evening. We got Cam Ryan, Indiana. Old faithful over there, old Cam. <laughs> no, old faithful boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> this time we got we got John Hopkins back on the show. John, are you what? He's the second return guest, right? I think he is second yes, time sir. coming on. Yeah, yeah. man, he's yeah. back again. People just can't long help time themselves. Listener. <laughs> long time listener. Long time listener. Second time caller. Yeah, <laughs> long time listener. He's one of three. He comes back. That's all <laughs> that matters. <laughs> uh, and we got a. We got a, a guest today. I've been looking forward to talk to him ever since he, he reached out to us. We got. Uh, Dr. Andrew Graham, and um, I, I really don't know how to. We're not used to having somebody your caliber on here. Is what I'm trying to <laughs> that say. That is correct. <laughs> we'll, we'll let him do the introducing of himself and his background and stuff. But well, first, yes. let's, let's get into what what led us to this. Okay. Because um, me and Kanan were on here. Uh, we recorded that episode. What Kanan about about three weeks ago, something like that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And uh, me and him were on here running our mouth as usual, <laughs> and we were we were talking about uh, about the video that John Hopkins had posted, and and we started discussing about all right, it's easy to get on here and just throw shade right at the uh, Holiness Church or church in general, mm-hmm. but what do we suggest? Yeah, and that's where I realized yeah. I had nothing to say, and yep. that was a yeah. that's a bad feeling. Me neither. So. Andrew listens to the uh, listens to the podcast, and he reached out and he said, "If you're serious about this, let me know." So I started a conversation, and and here we all sit this evening. Yeah, <laughs> and I remember when you told me about this, and I was like, "Oh, that'll be so awesome to be able to actually have some answers by someone who's trained," because we know of instances that have happened, and we just are really clueless as how do we either prevent, how do we 
bring attention to? Like, mm -hmm. what is the good, educated way to handle these situations? Right. Right. And this, this ball kind of got started rolling when we had yes. uh, David Iker on. He started telling things that really kind of spooked me. And it seemed like it, it was a topic that just coming back, just kept coming back up. Um, John, you, you asked to be on the show tonight, and I was really glad you did because I was wanting to get you on at some point anyways. You released that video there. What's, how long has it been now? Oh, dude, I don't even know. Like a month, maybe. Maybe not that long. Uh, we posted over on the, on the podcast uh, Facebook page. So people, it, it's still mm -hmm. up there, and I'll reshare it again so it's at the top of the feed so people can see it. What kind of uh, feedback you've been getting from that, John? Well, I mean, it had, I mean, last time I looked, which I'm not sure when that was. It had, had over 5,000 people view it. Mm. Um, and wow. I mean, even I think it was Monday of, or no, it was Thursday of last week. I think I talked to you, Phil. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've still been getting messages from people talking about it, kind of some of them even talking about their own trauma. And, and uh, so, yeah, it's, it's been, I guess, negatively positive feedback if that makes sense mm -hmm. yeah. not not something you want to hear but right. something right. i'm glad that people are able to talk about which is the whole reason why i shared it in the first place was just so that hopefully people would feel free to or freer to talk about the stuff that they were facing absolutely and for new listeners um what john's talking about is um he was able to confront someone who um, abused him as a child. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. so he's been able to talk to him and just let him know how his life has not been damaged to the point of no return. There is hope. There's a future. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm sorry to get emotional about this, but John, just watching that video, you had my mother in tears. You had my dad just oh. like listening. And he's like, I had no idea this is what was going on in the holiness movement, you know, cause that's all I've ever known. Um, mm -hmm. my dad had no idea that I was one of the victims as well. Um, until I was older, I was 31 when dad found out. Um, and so this is a really sensitive subject and it's not for everybody. So let's just put out a trigger warning. This might not be for a lot of people, yeah. a lot of listeners. One of those. Yes. Um, so, yep. But anyways, <laughs> sorry, guys. John, before we really dive into it, I also wanted to, to tell you publicly, and we've discussed it amongst ourselves, but um, the way that you modeled the Christian response to that guy yes. in the video where you confronted him, it still blows my mind, and I just wanted to give you props for that. Yes. Yeah. It was very, well, like I told very you, impressive. Like I told you when we talked about it, to be a thousand percent honest, that was not thoughts that were going through my head. I was praying like crazy. Uh -huh. <laughs> I am sure the whole day leading up to it. Cause I was like, God, you know, I've got to show you, I've got to show your spirit in this, even though that's not necessarily how I feel right, or how I have felt. And uh, so I honestly had no idea what I said until I went back and watched <laughs> it later, which was not a good wow. idea, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great self-control though, man. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it, it made me do some uh, reflecting on my own spiritual status. That's <laughs> how impressive it was to me. Just the power of forgiveness. Like, you yeah. know, when the Holy Spirit's able to just move on you and, and be able to speak for you when you cannot speak for yourself. Mm -hmm. Like he said, like in his head, I'm sure he wanted to cry, he wanted to scream, he wanted to say a lot of things, but he didn't. And that's the power of God's forgiveness. Yep. 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 Let's bring in Andrew here into this. Um, won't you, Andrew, won't you give us a little bit of your your background and, uh, you know, your credentials and so forth and let everybody know who we're talking to here. Yeah, sure. Uh, it's an honor to be able to, to join you all. And I am a, I am a podcast listener throughout the day. I walk back and forth to work. And so I often listen to podcasts and, um, actually the, the episode you were just mentioning with the, uh, the Anabaptist guy, I think somebody had recommended I listen to that mm -hmm. and I've listened to a bunch of episodes, uh, since then. And so, yeah, when I heard you guys talking about, you know, we don't know what to do. We just know there's a problem. Mm -hmm. thought, well, maybe maybe I'll reach out. So, um, you know, I attended, I know you guys have mentioned Hope Sound Bible College before. I attended yes. here in the, uh, in the late 90s and graduated from here, went off, did uh, a master's degree and worked in uh, eastern Kentucky in, uh, in community mental health 
and then went from there to the upstate of South Carolina, so still sort of an Appalachian population, and then to uh, Central Virginia, which is where I did my doctorate. And all that time I worked uh, in community settings, not in religious settings. I mean, I was a believer. I am a believer, mm -hmm. uh, a person of faith, Christian, but my counseling was always in, you know, agency work. So my Bible was in my desk, not on my desk. And I prayed for clients, but not ever with them. Mm -hmm. And as we got to the end of my PhD, I, I really felt like maybe maybe I needed to, to make a, a switch and work more in the church. Uh, there had been um, actually a, a holiness evangelist had been through town and took me out to eat and was talking to me about, uh, you know, basically asked me if I was doing anything to serve the church. And I was like, well, I'm tithing, you know, singing the church quartet every once in a while, but not really besides that. <laughs> and he was, like, he was like, no, you need to, you know, people need to, to hear about counseling and to hear about helping hurting people. Uh, so I, I moved my family and I, after I graduated, moved back to Hope Sound and I started the counseling program uh, th up through about 2020. I taught there. And I think the biggest surprise was that I assumed that I would be bored because rather than working with kids who'd been abused and adults who were victims of abuse, which is a lot of what I did in, in community mental health, that I would be bored. Like it would be families who were saying, you know, we're an eight and a half out of 10 and we want to be a nine. Yeah. And it was, I was perhaps pretty naive to realize that when I started identifying myself as a confidential person for people to reach out to that, uh, you know, even people from, from our shared faith tradition would reach out and say, Hey, here's, you know, since I know you can't ever tell anyone, here's what really happened to me. And uh, it was it was a, a real adjustment for me to to go from hearing stories from from kids who I'd never see in the community um, except except when I saw them in my office to suddenly you know hearing disclosures of people you know the children of pastors or or uh, children of of lay leaders and and you know evangelists and stuff like that reach out and say you know I need to make a disclosure I need somebody to you know, sometimes, sometimes for counseling, sometimes I just need to tell somebody so that I don't keep all this stuff in. Right. And, um, but yeah, that's been, that's been a part of my, so I still teach, I teach online for several Christian universities and then I have a counseling practice, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a thing here lately as people wanting to, to, to talk about what, what should we have done in some of these, some of these situations where, where people, I, mean, I don't, I, from, from John's video, I'm not sure anybody knew and, and withheld information, but there certainly are those cases as well mm -hmm. where parents and church leaders were aware that something was going on and, and didn't do something. Or and I'd, I'd be interested in John's situation as to whether or not he just didn't feel safe in going to anyone because he didn't feel like he would be believed, because I feel like that's a common narrative as well. So talking about, you know, what we should do as parents, as, you know, we're lay leaders too, right? I mean, I'm, right. I'm in my 40s, not quite that old, but, you know, <laughs> what are we doing to, to foster an environment where kids are kept safe? And if something's happening to them, they have identified us as safe people who will help them to, to navigate what's going on with them. That's, that's, that's good questions. Do you have answers for a lot of these questions? Um, are you still kind of, I know you're trained in this. I'm not questioning that at all. Um, but like, how, how do we move forward? I guess is going to be my question. That's my big question. Well, I think there's, there's something too that, that he mentioned that, yeah. that caught my attention, how he felt the need for people to know about counseling. Right. And because it seemed like, and, and Andrew, Kanan, and John, maybe uh, Mariah, Maybe it was different in your old circles because I had the, you know, I was I was in the very conservative side of the movement, right? But then was also in West Virginia, which is a different a different culture, and counseling was almost looked at as something that like, you don't you don't need that. Counseling you know. was looked down upon yeah. very yeah. much. So yeah. it was looked down. It was. You needed more prayer. Yeah, That's it. <laughs> yeah. basically, I mean, it's it's sad, but basically that was the approach to it. Right. So. Andrew, what kind of a, a hurdle was that? Was it hard to try to spread that message just in of itself? Yeah. So I'm I'm a really big guy, and I am pretty secure in who I am and what God's called me to be. 
Um, I, you guys have talked about traveling in PR groups, ministry teams and stuff like that. And, and I did that when I was in Bible college. And, you know, I was a ministerial major. So I, I took all the homiletics classes, but I knew that I would never, you know, that wasn't, you know, pastoral ministry isn't what God was calling me to. But I would go to these youth camps and I would talk to kids at the altar. I mean, I was only a year or two or three older than they were, mm-hmm. or we'd sit mm-hmm. around at the dorm late at night. And I was like, you know what? This is what God wants me to do. And it's great to be a good listener, but I want the tools and the information so that when somebody stops talking, I can say something back to them that's helpful. And so, yeah, yeah, no, I I definitely had people try to talk me out of that. (laughs) Absolutely, definitely. (laughs) And and no, yeah, this is who I am. This is what God wants me to do. Get out of the way. And (laughs) I've had a number of people, I've had a number of people over the years have reached out to me and said, I remember one guy who, who was really bothered about the fact that I, that I would do that. I mean, he was, he said something to the effect of, you know, like if you can speak, if you can speak plainly in front of people, um, then God's called you to preach and you're just fighting a call to preach. And a few years, well, quite a few years later, I saw, saw that same guy and he came up to me and said, man, I am so glad you listened to God rather than listening to me because we, <laughs> we, we need people who are willing and able to do what you're doing. So. Yes. Uh, yeah, no, even, even at, you know, even at Hope Sound, I mean, there was a, there was a counseling minor, but it was always sort of a, you know, sort of a pastoral role, not really, you know, that somebody would pursue, uh, you know, licensure and, you know, and all of that sort of stuff. That's something, because it was always kind of going joke and, and being, I mentioned it to Andrew, Hope Sound was looked at as the uh, more progressive yes. one out of the whole Yeah, <laughs> it, it was the more the worldly out of all of the Bible colleges. It's, it's a, it wasn't even as focused there right. as much as, as my mom. Think. My mom also went to Hope Sound, and she loved her time there. Um, she was there, oh, it's in the 80s, I believe it was. I think it was like 83 to 87, something like that, when my mom went there, and she absolutely loved it. Back up to one thing there, you know, and because I think this is where this is where John's video is just absolutely so powerful is that, you know, we can, you know, the the conservative evangelical church, you know, conservative homeless movement, what whatever term is best, you know, there are, you know, it was easy to look at, you know, a Bill Cosby, you know, uh, a Bill Clinton, you know, sort of a serial philanderer, um, you know, Howard Weinstein, start stuff like that and be really critical Mm-hmm. of people like that. Mm-hmm. And, and rightfully so. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not against being critical of that. And then, and then suddenly it was, it was Bill Gothard. And then it was, uh, you know, the guy out in, in Colorado. And so it was, it still, it was like, well, these aren't, this isn't holiness movement stuff. Like these people aren't really, you know, then it was, then it was Ravi Zacharias and, mm-hmm. and it was still like, people still put their hands up and said like, yeah, but that's still out there. Right. That's not in here. And so for John to, uh, you know, for John to not necessarily name names, I mean, we, you know, name specific denominations and those sorts of things. But like, I think that's the power in in John's voice and all of this is saying, no, no, this isn't, this isn't all that stuff way out there. Like this is, this is right here. And there were people, you know, in the vicinity, like this was, you know, I would, this, there's, I was not properly stewarded, mm-hmm. you know, in that, in that moment while in the care of, of godly people. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's the, that's, so the whole conversation goes back to being willing to acknowledge that there are systems in place that allow the sort of victimization that happened to John and that don't respond necessarily in the right way in order to prevent that from happening again, or provide some sort of care to those who've been victims already. It seems like it hits a little too close to home and no one wants to address it. And then you have instances like um, John, like he said, John, um, like the doctor had just mentioned, I would be very interested to see, like, did you feel like you couldn't say what you uh, feel free to not answer this? Did you feel like you couldn't say anything? Why did you speak up suddenly? Because I know I kept quiet for years, like 21 plus years personally. What was your reasoning? And I know you mentioned statistics, too, with your personal experiences. So could you answer those questions for me? Yeah. So, um, I guess I talked to my parents about it when I was older, I was 18 or 19. Then it was kind of a thing that it had happened so long prior to that. And people just really 
it wasn't taught like how do we deal with this even for them as parents um and i've said it in my video and i try to say it every time that i talk about this in a public setting um because i want people to know that i do not blame my parents for any of my trauma right mm -hmm. because they did the best that they knew how to do in the situation um but that's the whole problem they did the best they knew how um they they weren't equipped with how to deal with that situation right so the reason i guess that it came about now is that i was just quite simply just put in contact with the people that run predator catchers indianapolis because of working with one of the ladies so that kind of just put it out there and then she told me you know, i had worked with her for quite a while and we talked about um, my trauma because i'm pretty open talking about it at this point in my life and so she had told me that that the man who had um, abused me as a kid had started messaging them and it was kind of a thing where she put it out there hey like if you want to confront him you can don't feel pressure to right. but sometimes victims want to and if you want to we will let you when the time comes so that's kind of how that i guess came about was just the fact that it was timing him talking to one of the decoys that just so happened to be from them so there was just a lot of timing i guess in it that it just happened the way it did and then of course my wife has her master's degree in social work so that has helped lead me to a better spot of healing than i would have been at a long time ago as well mm -hmm. i'm sure just because she's all constantly nagging at me to get help with this or get help with that like a normal wife would except where she has a degree Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That that video of PCI that wound up making national news, didn't it, John? Are those are them catching Yeah. The so I think that. Yeah, I think like Fox and the biggest probably news outlet that shared it was Daily Mail, um, just because that's on a lot of social media websites. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it did the actual video of the catch, um, or you know, news clips of it or whatever went everywhere just because of the status that he had with whatever it was, made it, whatever, essentially the parent company or sister company of Facebook. Yeah, that, tend to, that seemed to draw a lot of attention to it by how high up yeah. it was in that company. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then you said something about statistics, Missy. Yes. Uh, so another interesting thing that I found was that after I posted my video and a lot of people in the church world saw it, it was interesting to me that probably a good, 80% of the people that messaged me and said, hey, you know, this happened to me. Um, I just haven't really talked about it. We're all people that, of course, I traveled in PR, so I know a lot of people. Right. But we're almost all people that I know or know of that grew up in the same circles that we all grew up in. Right. And that, considering the number of people that messaged me, that's a large number. Yes. And some of them, mm -hmm. you know, my age, some of them older than my parents. Uh, messaging me um so it's not even like it's a new thing either it's been happening for years um it's just not talked about you know that that makes me think about something there where nandra you'd, you'd mentioned about listening to the one with with david Iker, and david said something that caught my attention david i, I believe just started focusing on the things in his circles right which was the mennonite circles and he had the he talked about the christian aid ministries thing and all mm -hmm. that and he, he said something on there that stuck out to me, and I, I wanted to get your take on Andrew. He said that conservative religious circles, I, I know I'm paraphrasing here a little bit, but he said they just have this problem. He said they yeah. tend to have this problem. The way I took it was bad. Right. And so my question to you is, is, is that a thing? And does the conservative holiness movement have it worse than than we would think because it's easy you know we always had the catholic church growing up right. you know that was the, it still is the butt of everybody's jokes right but the catholic church is very large it's very rich mm -hmm. and reporters like to poke around yeah, so true. therefore it it got exposed and also like like you said earlier andrew it just kept coming a little bit closer and closer to home right and now it just makes me wonder it's like okay do we have a big issue here that that we just don't know about yeah i don't, I don't know that we can guess you know, how prevalent, how prevalent it is based on, I mean, I remember John in John's video there, he talks about four guys riding in a car together, you know, and that was pretty, 
pretty mm -hmm. intense there. Um, you know, and at the same time, you know, so to answer the back up and answer your question, I mean, I, I think that there are some risk, some sort of baked in risk factors for conservative communities. So, so you have this situation where uh, it's a, it's a closed group of people typically um, where sort of separatism is sort of celebrated and so is sort of group identity. So if someone were to come out and share a story about a leader or the son of a leader or, or something or a daughter of a leader or something like that, then potentially you're distancing yourself from where much of your primary identity lies, right? So it's almost like, like, like accusing a family member Yes. Because you know, our shared faith community is is so close, mm -hmm. so I, I think there's that component, and then I do think that you know because of there you know there are theological commitments that make it such that you know we don't want to believe the worst in someone, and so as a result, there tends to be sort of a almost a public minimizing when somebody does sin, we sort of excuse it and rationalize it. And, and so there are people who say, perhaps even accurately, like if, if I did come forward and make a disclosure, I, I wouldn't be believed. I would be the bad person. I would be, you know, sowing, uh, sowing discord. You know, I would be, you know, for instance, if it's a young lady, uh, you know, saying, you know, what, well, what were you wearing? How are you acting? Yes. What did you do? this upon yourself. And I think that sort of, those sort of risk factors are sort of baked in to, uh, to communities of faith that are, that are like ours. That's, that's a good thing, topic you brought up because it is true. Instead, it sounds bad, but instead of like, you know, believing these victims and it, it becomes a, what did you do to ask for this? Mm -hmm. Yes. We've, we've and that's, that, that becomes a, a problem every, in like each topic that we bring this up. What did you do to cause this to happen to you? And like, these are children that are being hurt and mm -hmm. by usually adults. If I remember right, when I was in school, um, I think they said that was like, it was a close to up to 70% of the people, their abusers are adults. So mm. it just brings up a lot of questions, you know? Yeah, that's something too that, Andrew, you just, you just mentioned about the, the theological commitment and all that. Right. There's, it seems like there's a lot of it when I'm talking to people from the conservative holiness movement. You'll mention these stories, and it's like they automatically jump to this place of disbelief. There's no like, right. well, let's let's find out. It's right. like, no, yeah. There's no chance in heck that that happened. Right. And it just, I mean, we, me, miss me, and you both know people like that. Right. That are uh, they just automatically discount what the victim says. And it becomes too, like, you're going to turn against the church. The only thing you've ever known, you're going to alienate yourself. You're going to be shunned because you've brought up the, you know, discord. You're bringing mm -hmm. up issues that, you know, oh my goodness. Yes. That's so terrible. But you, like, you don't know for sure it actually happened. So that like it becomes more disbelief than it does actually like digging into a little bit deeper and checking out and seeing what these kids are saying. Yeah. You know, conservative groups also tend to platform men rather than mm -hmm. rather than others. So the idea that women would make an accusation or a child would make an accusation, um, yeah, the default is going to be, yeah, but two percent of the time people, you know, fault, you know, accusations are false. So <laughs> how do we know this isn't one of those two yep. percent? Right. Um and, and so you know our most uh, you know I know here you know where I attend church there are there are two women on the church board. I don't believe there are any women on the mission board, and then there's one woman on the college board. So three out of 36 are wow. are women. That's more than I think a lot of places yes. have. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's a lot more. Wow. But you know, so we're we're now talking about listening to historically marginalized voices you know, that are telling us, hey, things are not okay. So we're not listening to them because they don't talk, uh, don't speak up because they're afraid that there's absolutely nothing is going to be done. I, I've worked with a number of people who are victims in situations very similar to what John has shared, who have said, were I to come forward, I would be, you know, I would be ridiculed. Uh, nothing mm -hmm. would, nothing would come of it. I don't have any proof. It will be my word against theirs. You know, I'm not willing to identify myself as a victim. 
And, and, and so back to, you know, sort of those opening few minutes there, you know, that John was able to do so and do so graciously and be a testimony. Right. I'm not at all pressuring anybody else to feel as though they have to be as vulnerable as John has. But I do think that John has demonstrated that, you know, he didn't catch on fire and, uh, you know, that he's actually, people have been very supportive of his, I don't, I shouldn't say that. I don't know if he caught on fire or not. But, you know, <laughs> did you catch on fire, John? Good I did not. Okay, sorry. Go yeah. ahead. Yeah. So uh, you know, I think that it. I think that it probably. I imagine that of those, I can't remember how many thousand people have watched it, John. I'm sure that there are hundreds who sat there thinking to themselves, "What if I talked about what happened to me? What if I made a disclosure? You know, can God help me in the same way that He helped John to 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 be this sort of missionary?" Uh, speaking up on this issue. Also, when it comes to the psychological battles that you face, a lot of people feel like they deserved it or they did something, like you said, because whenever people are asking questions, what did you do to make this happen to you? It becomes more like the victim was the reason why it even happened in the first place. So then you're kind of going back to that, like, would they be afraid to speak up? Because of all the questions, like you did something to make that happen to you. So of course you're not going to say anything. Well, I think there's also this this thing of, and we've talked about this, Kane, and um, some of the episodes prior, we've, we've hit on this quite a bit. That's some of the danger, I think, too, in giving this almost deity-like yes. status to humans, because uh-huh. humans are flawed. Right, and sure. And humans will do things that they shouldn't do. But then when you have a movement that puts its complete trust, like I said, I, I remember the evangelists, man, I looked at those guys as if they said it, then God was, had right. directly told it to them. Exactly. Now, and, and obviously I'm generalizing here. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying everybody's out there, you know, going after kids. I'm not saying that at all. But I think that it, it gets dangerous when you just put blind faith into something that. Yeah, it's true. Into an individual that then as an organization. I find it interesting that um, Andrew mentioned too, with, that the men are, are deemed as being a little bit, you know, more superior, if I can say that, um, than the women and the children. The women are told, you know, you're supposed to talk to your husbands about these issues. Well, what if the husband is the reason why they're in this position in the first place? Or the children? The children can't talk to the mother because the mother's also being abused by the husband. And then they, if they talk to anybody, they'll be like, well, you should have talked to your husband about this. And then the pastor or whoever will go talk to the husband. And then the husband, he'll go home and beat the living daylights out of the kids and, or the wife, you know, there's so many instances that I've heard of from different people that it's just, it's a recipe for disaster if they do stand up and speak up. I'll tell you something else that always, uh, that has kind of been a bother in the back of my mind, guys, is I would hear these stories and I was afraid that maybe I was just making too much of something. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, when you get in sure. this thing where you start finding faults with an organization then I, I get scared sometimes that I've put too much emphasis on it. But then, you know, John steps forward and right. then, and then uh, Dr. Graham gets a hold of me. And then I was basically sitting there with, you know, my eyes were like this big around, like right. um, maybe, <laughs> maybe yeah. I'm not making too much of this thing. Right. You, you know, like but, you, you weren't trying to stir the pot, but the pot's yeah. like right in front of you starting yeah. to turn on its own. And you're like, Whoa, what's going <laughs> on here? Stirring itself. <laughs> right. One thing that I've, I guess, realized or noticed, after you know making or after confronting him or whatever the first thing that automatically that i felt i guess in a few days afterwards was almost a guilt of you know you have made this a public thing and you've made him you know deal with this publicly and i don't know like you haven't shown grace to him that makes sense course i've been in therapy i understand how to think through these things and whatever but in that in that process um it was almost as uh, not trying to say like god spoke to me but that god does give us grace but Mm -hmm. there are still consequences there's still earthly consequences for earthly decisions even though there might not be eternal consequences and uh i right after that video came out um probably two weeks later i spoke to us in a small group setting at a youth convention so boys we're talking about sex and stuff and um, that was one of the things that god kind of showed me through that convention and 
just answering questions was that there are consequences for decisions that you make. Right. And that, you know, grace, grace covers eternal consequences, but nowhere in the Bible does it say that it covers earthly consequences. Andrew, the kind of the reason I wanted to have you on, I think the reason you, you got a hold of me was, you know, I, I didn't see a lot of this in my church growing right. up. I mean, it, it probably was there, um, but I, I didn't, I wasn't put dead in the face with it. I'm an uneducated dude. I don't know how to recognize this kind of thing. And if I do recognize it, I'm helpless as what to do about it. So what can everybody that's listening, those, I'm sure there's some that are in places of higher authority at their church or just people that attend regularly. What can we do to um, recognize if this is happening? Are there any telltale signs or, you know, both a a victim and a, a predator or, you know, what kind of steps can a, can a church take right. uh, to help thwart this kind of thing before it happens? Yeah, those are those are great questions. And one thing that I feel like I need, we you know, I, I, that needs to be stressed is on some level, some, some damage was done to relationships when we were encouraged um, back sort of post 9-11. If you see something, say something, right? As though we should all, we, as though we should all be spying on our friends and neighbors, you know, all thinking, you know, what what could they be capable of? Is there a terrorist cell in the dorm room across the hall? Mm. You know, <laughs> and so I, I don't want things to be that way. You know, I, I don't want, you know, I took, I took th- my three youngest children out to play basketball at the park this afternoon, you know, I don't want somebody to drive by and think, Hey, wait a minute, right. You know, 40 year old guy, three kids under seven, you know, what's going on over there. (laughs) You know, I I don't want us to get into that sort of mindset where we're constantly trying to assume the worst out of everyone, but certainly parents need to be very, very intentional about cultivating relationships with their children where they feel like they can come to them, where you're, where my children, I've got eight, eight kids, four boys, four girls, oldest is 20, youngest is four. You know, I want to have a relationship with them where if anybody is doing anything, any sort of grooming, any sort of inappropriate action towards them, that they would immediately say, I got to talk to my dad about that. Mm-hmm. So all the, you know, and certainly, certainly there are other adults in life, youth pastors, pastors, need to be cultivating relationships, safe relationships where where kids who are being victimized or even being groomed for victim victimization can go. There aren't telltale telltale or however you call that signs where you know, you know, where you where it's just this very clear thing, right? Personalities are different. Right. But a lot of times, a lot of times when I talk to people, and again, I'm I'm mostly at this age stage of my career. I'm mostly talking to adults who are talking about being victimized as children. I'm not typically talking to children, but they're, when they're talking, they're saying, you know, you know, I hear, I felt like I was, had significant problems in school, just sort of came out of nowhere and really complicated, you know, just a big change in relationships and a change in self-esteem and a change in my desire to be uh, alone in, or, you know, alone with certain individuals or, you know, those sorts of things. I, I think that we need to be close enough to our children as parents that we're recognizing when there's those sorts of changes. But certainly if there's a kid who uh, feels really hypersensitive to touch or, or you know, scared to be alone with, with any particular individual because they don't know who to trust because there has been victimization, you know, those sorts of situations are things that we need to, at that point, keep an eye on and say, you know, is there, could there be something there? You know, if we've got an adult who's always seems to be trying to find ways where they're alone with individuals one-on-one or, you know, that that sort of thing, I think that we do need to be screening those who work with our youth better. I think we need to be providing better supervision, mm-hmm. you know, at youth camps and and, and those, those sorts of environments so that you know so that we're minimizing the chance of people being able to being able to act out. I think that when somebody does demonstrate that they are a risk, the adult uh, or a, or an older child for that matter, we need to take additional steps, not simply say, well, this person has gone to the altar and so they've been fully restored and so now I want to make them look bad or feel bad, so we'll put them 
we'll let them continue because this is now under the blood. Yes. And, yes. you know, I heard Sarah Fry say, if it's under, sometimes under the blood means under the rug. And, no. you know, <laughs> we very good. Very good. a situation where we're allowing kids to continue to be victimized by not, uh, by not speaking to the issue. Mm. Um, so yeah, there aren't, there are, I mean, there's a list of things that are, are common, you know, kids who are on the age, you know, sometimes kids who've been sexually abused are having, uh, problems holding, you know, controlling their bladder. It's almost as though they're dissociating from, from that part of their body or, or suddenly there's, they're itching a lot more and those sorts of things. But, but that could also be explained by other things. So we can't be assumed that because those sorts of physical things are happening, that there has to be abuse, right? You know, having a big change in self-esteem during preteen, teen years doesn't automatically assume that somebody has been sexually abused. But if you've got a number of these things all happening, you know, it's it's definitely something to have cultivated a relationship where you can say, hey, you know, let's go out to eat and talk about, you know, what's going on with you. You know, has has somebody taken advantage of you? Has somebody, you know, been inappropriate towards you? And and having cultivated a relationship with our own children and those we minister with, that they would feel comfortable in making that sort of disclosure. So you're you're basically saying like there's there's no one thing, right? But if you you see like the some things starting to stack up, you might want to take a second look. Is that kind of what I'm? What I'm picking up? Yeah, yeah. So let me tell you a quick, quick story. I was, I was re- recently at a at an event, and a couple rows in front of me were parents, and the row between the parents and where I was sitting were the grandparents and the children of of the parents. Right. So the sit with grandma and grandpa, mm-hmm. and one of the kids' boys, I well, a book, a book slid down the pew. And went underneath the parents' pew, and so Dad reached. Uh, you're gonna, people aren't going to see this with audio only, but Dad reached down and grabbed the book, and he turned to hand it to the row behind him. And when he did, the kids all ducked, like Dad was about to hit him with the book. And I sat in my pew, thinking, "Oh my goodness! Like these mm. children are so afraid of their dad. You know, their dad with his hand in the air that they're afraid he's going to hit them with a book in the middle of church." You know, now Mm. that's me. And that's because of the stories that I hear all the time. And so I need to recognize, okay, there could be other reasons why this sort of thing is happening. But if there were other, you know, outside just that one situation, if there were other things where these, you know, where these kids seem to be struggling, I would, you know, that would cause me to feel, and that's not reportable. It's not something I'm calling CPS on, but it certainly would be something that I would be more aware of, you know, what, what is it that is that's going on in this family, and and should there be some sort of intervention? Actually, it brings up a, and you don't have to answer this if you don't want. To, purely personal question for you. You said that that you see these things on a regular basis. Does that uh, after a while does that just tend to kind of eat away at you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, it does. Absolutely, it does. I, I, yeah. So I wasn't, you know, my my parents came to faith when I was a teenager. Um, so, and then we moved, moved from, I'm, I'm from Canada. We moved from Canada down to, down to Hopetown. So I was in this, this sort of environment in my, in my high school and college years and didn't see these sorts of things. Never had no idea. Didn't realize, you know, all kinds of things were going on that I mm-hmm. was just totally unaware of. And then, you know, like I said, going into community mental health, right. Seeing these people and these broken families because they were, because they were lost, because they'd never been confronted with the truth of the gospel, because yeah. they didn't see themselves or anybody else has created in the image of God. So to now hear stories from people who I feel know better, or certainly should know better, it certainly testified to knowing better. Yeah, it can be quite complicated. Uh, several years ago, I spoke at the Outreach and Bus Convention on the issue of sexual abuse, and I realized about 15 minutes in that people were, like, 40% of the people were crying. And they weren't crying just because they had empathy for people who were hurt, but because they were sitting there listening to me talk about what should have been done to have protected them or their children. And they just didn't know what to do. And I ended up, my session was, my session was at two o'clock in the afternoon. It went from two until three. And I left the room at 10 o'clock that night because people wanted to stay and talk about their story and what they should do with what had happened to them. So yeah, absolutely. It's a difficult, it's what God's called me to do. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, it's what God's called me to do. And, and I have the personality for it. I'm a very empathic person. So, uh, I mean, I cried watching John's video as well. I think I think a further complication is that I appreciate you guys wanting to talk about it. I appreciate, uh, you know, Grace Story had me on to talk about spiritual abuse here recently. And mm-hmm. I noticed the, the podcast after 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 me is on uh, is on sexual abuse and those sorts of things. But I'm not here. I didn't hear anybody from the denomination that uh, John was talking about on the video, the camp. I, I haven't heard anything about any sort of public statement from that. I've not heard any CHM leader uh, call this out. I've not, you know, even whether it's individual level or on a systemic level or on a, we need to, we need to do a better job. I've not heard anything like that. And um, so as somebody who navigates these waters all the time, yeah, I don't think it's that hard to say we need to do a better job protecting our kids and making sure that the people that we are entrusting our children to are themselves uh, who they present themselves as. But yet, yeah, I'm not, I'm not hearing. I've seen a few. So let, let me let me say that. I shouldn't say I haven't seen any. Um, I think I think David Fry, I would consider him a CHM leader. I think he shared uh, John's video, made a comment. I think some several others have, but not very many. And you know, that's that's bothersome to me. That as you said, it's easy to poke fun at the at the Catholic Church. It's easy to say about Bill Cosby or even all the way to Bill Gothard, mm-hmm. but uh, to to identify that maybe we need to do some things differently in our dormitories or our camps or our Sunday schools, those sorts of things. Um, we're still not having those conversations. It's always been uh, kind of interesting to me. The church that Kane and I attend, we attend the same church. Um, the church that we attend at this point within like the last maybe three years, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Kanan, but I think within the last three years, um, we've started requiring everyone that's involved in ministry at any level volunteering or whatever um, Mm -hmm. that they have to go through background checks they have to take training um, on how to recognize trauma how to recognize um, sexual abuse things to look for all that stuff but a lot of youth camps a lot of kids camps um, and then just down to just churches in general that's not that's not even something we do is just to screen the people um, that are involved. You might, you know, you might just have any Joe Blow running a dorm full of teens, um, Mm -hmm. that has never been through any screening. Um, and that to me, that's just something simple that could be done. I work with bus teens and underprivileged teens through my job and through the church. And I've had, um, even some teens parents ask questions like, so are the people that are here, the leaders here, the people in charge the volunteers have they been screened or have they you know been background checked or whatever and to me it's sad that a bus team or an underserved underprivileged team whatever that they would be their parents would be asking those questions but holiness kids um, if you want to say that conservative holiness whatever word you want to use that those parents aren't asking the same questions yeah john do you think is that out of uh, and, and I don't say this in a mean way, but is that out of ignorance where I know when I was really deep into CHM, I was very sheltered, had no idea this was an issue. Right. Is that something that comes out of ignorance? It's not realizing that it can happen? I think that I think that maybe it could be ignorance. Um, you or Kanan, one of you had mentioned somewhere along the line about this idea of blind trust. We just trust everybody. Mm-hmm. Like Andrew said, not saying that we shouldn't trust people, um, but just have a blind trust in everyone and everything without paying attention and asking questions. And then honestly, it's just an awkward conversation and, and we just don't like to have awkward conversations. Um, especially in the backgrounds that we've grown up in and a lot of other people, you know, I've been around a lot of denominations that are not quote unquote holiness denominations. And it's the same. It's not different throughout. We don't talk about sex. We don't talk about pornography. We don't talk about, because those are awkward things to talk about. And when you don't talk about those things, that's the situation I grew up in. We didn't talk about that was sex was dirty to talk about in our house. Yep. So back up to the very beginning of the episode um, to answer Andrew's question. That was one of the reasons why I didn't talk about it just because we, that was something you didn't talk about. That was a dirty subject. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, 
it becomes an issue where it's something we don't talk about and leaders don't want to address that because it's awkward and you don't want to have that awkward conversation. That's a good point because like in the holiness movement, I know I'm just speaking from personal experience here. I had no idea anything about sex until I was about 18 years old and it's nothing against my parents. It's just like that conversation never came up. They never explained anything really to me. I mean, I, I knew about animals. We had animals everywhere. (laughs) And I, I, it never clicked though in my head, like with humans. Yeah. I was just like, you know, this innocent little girl, I I didn't know nothing. And, um, it just, it's interesting how the ball is being dropped when it comes to the conversation of sex. I understand it is awkward. Like no one wants to have that conversation, but that is a ball that's being dropped as parents. And that's something like, you know, as a new mom, you know, we're going to be a parents here soon. These are signs that we're aware of now that we need to act on. And like, for example, with, um, Kane and Mariah and their little boy, they have to make choices and stuff about what goes on with him. Right. Uh, that's a big obligation as, as parents. Like this, this is a really, really difficult topic for new parents or young parents. You know, it, this conversation is both, uh, it gives me um, some hope. And scares me to death all at the same time. Hey, that's <laughs> a fair like, statement. Like uh, what Andrew said, you know, there's not very many of these CHM leaders or even just church leaders in general that are coming out and saying, let's address this problem. We that are issue. open to trying right. to fix the problem. Right. Yes, that's a good point. Like the, the one guy was at uh, Canaan. Me and you was around him for years at Clinton Camp. When, when yeah. he got busted, this was after me and Canaan had left. It had been that many years ago. Uh, the prosecuting attorney said this is one of the worst cases of child abuse that he had ever seen in the county he was at. And, and it was like, and it this was like guy learned, learned behavior. Roamed camp for years. You know, yes. I just, and so yeah. then my mind starts racing. If I'm not careful, I'll get guilty of what Andrew's told us not to do. Right, I know. Witch hunting in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> but, but to be fair, there were warning signs. Your mother said over and over, oh, yeah. there is something wrong with those men. Yeah. 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 And it came out as being, like you said, one of the worst situations mm-hmm. that the judge had ever seen. Yeah. And was, so that, know, was that talked about? Do no, you remember? of course not. Of course not. No, they didn't talk about no. it at the camp. And so we know it's around. Now we just got to be vigilant. So, Andrew, um, question, I guess, the same question that Phil asked me, What? why do you think that it's not talked about? Why do you think that um, leaders aren't addressing it? Yeah, so that's complicated. But I, I would say that so much rides on theology that says that we can attain a state of grace whereby it's we're not capable of mm. doing these sorts of things and since there's no real measurable metric to determine somebody's particular state of grace uh you know somebody says that they're entirely sanctified. Somebody says that the root of sin is gone. What is what does that mean? And then how do we question them, question their their motives in a particular situation? How do we question their their behavior that appears to not align with that without making it look as though we are questioning our own theology? I think I think that's part of it. I think that we've created, and this is this is a generations long thing. This isn't just people today, but we've created this sort of uh, defense against the system sort of thing such that, well, like we would never want to get child protective services in, in, involved. We would never want to get the law involved. We would never want to uh, participate in any sort of interview or something like that. You know, we'd never want to reach outside the community in order to f- talk about, and, and this is, this is better than it has been, as you mentioned, but to talk about like, what should we do to protect ourselves and protect the most vulnerable among us? People have been conditioned to believe that all, well, since you mentioned your wife as a social worker, right? That, you know, social workers, you know, are inherently evil and should not be trusted, right? Their role is to take children <laughs> from loved parents who, who just because they spank their child, should, no, that is not what social workers do, right? You know, counselors do not tell people how to be safe and secure in their sin, right? Which is mm-hmm. what I've heard somebody say. About me, right? That is that is not oh, what man. I do. Uh-huh. You do, not, do not get glee from removing children from 
from from parental guardianship. So, but but that is those are certainly the sorts of things that you've heard and that I've heard. And so there's that whole like I don't want to bring somebody from the outside in here. We'll handle this ourselves. And like I said, handling it oftentimes has been you know, sweep it, sweep it under the rug. So we have to be safe, right? We have to present ourselves as safe and we have to present ourselves as if you come to us, we will believe you. And that has been a huge problem, right? Where people have been vocal, leadership has been vocal in public situations to say, we do not believe uh, people who come forward as victims. When I posted years ago questions about uh, Bill Gothard and his ministry and the accusations coming out against him, it was, you know, touch not the Lord's anointed. It was, uh-huh. you know, all, all of those sorts of things. You know, we need to believe people, right? We need to report it if something has happened. And, you know, I could tell story after story and I won't because I want to be really careful about confidentiality. But churches where where it's it's been generational and you've got victim after victim after victim and people even knew that things were going on because their own children had been victimized, but they didn't do anything about it. And that allowed more and more and more people and just the tentacles of sin just go, just go everywhere because it wasn't reported. It wasn't accurately addressed. We need to lecture. We need to stop lecturing people and start loving people. You know, um, like I, I've had numbers of people say to me, we, we talked about the whole self-blame uh, somebody mentioned a few minutes ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that I've counseled who said, you know, I went to this happened when I was 11. And when I was when I went to youth camp at 15, I realized it must have been my fault. I think, you know, one one lady said to me, I remember where, that I was wearing a red jumper the first time I was sexually abused. That must be the problem. So I stopped wearing red. You know, those those sorts of things, rather than rather than loving kids, we lecture them, really, you know, as as mentioned, the whole not talking about sex thing. Now, I don't have a problem talking about that. So but, you know, not every not every camp, not every youth camp is going to have me come and talk. And then we have we have to we have to be willing to protect survivors over protecting the system. We have to be willing to say you know, something's going on here and we need to get to the root of it and we need to protect the dignity, protect the, 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 the image of God in this, in this image bearer and not be worried about what this looks like to our church or to our movement. If people come forward and say, this is something that's happened. Yeah. Right when he started that whole, um, not being tempted, not sinning ever. Like that, that it becomes the biggest, biggest issue because they're like, they, they will never, they'd never do that. They, they're yeah. so sanctified. Like they, they don't want to do those things. I agree with everything you just said. <laughs> that was, <laughs> wow. Was so just, just be clear though, I'm saying this stuff from inside the house. Okay. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not throwing shade on any of no. you. You know, I'm not, I'm not somebody who's not right here right now. You know, mm-hmm. I, I attend what I think is still the largest CHM church. Uh, you know, I spoke at two CHM churches last week and I'll, I'll speak it more in the future. Uh, so, you know, this is, this is where, this is where my faith identity lies. Yes. But I recognize that that doesn't mean that we can't, I mean, I love, I love people and I love institutions too much to be able to say that there isn't a problem here, that there aren't systemic issues that keep people from saying, something has happened to me or that even abusers, right. And even people, you know, I, I, I'm an empathic enough person to say that I want to foster an environment where somebody who has done wrong can say, I want to come forward to my pastor or to my church and receive restoration, which may involve reporting if it was related to a child, you know, and those, those sorts of things, right. It isn't Mm -hmm. just about protecting the victim. It's also about, protecting the victim who has probably become a perpetrator. So it's not that every it's not that every victim becomes a perpetrator, but almost every perpetrator will acknowledge their own victimization. And so even while while watching that uh Indiana sort of Gestapo, whatever that's uh whatever that um, <laughs> law enforcement strategy is called or pseudo law enforcement strategy is called, even in watching that, like part of me is just broken for for John's abuser to say what was going on in that guy's life that that this is what he was doing you know praying on 
uh, preying on young men like John? What, where, you know, where was his victimization? What's his story? And yeah, it's, it's a problem. And is it more than it is in the world? Is it more than it is in the Catholic church? I don't know. It's more than it should be. And so that's why it's it's reasonable to say, Hey, I'm going to spend an evening talking to you guys and your audience to say, we've got to do better on these sorts of things. We've got to be educated and we've got to not be afraid to speak up if we see something. Do you see a lot of, um, do you see a lot of these instances being reported? I guess that's my question. Cause like, I know the church likes to keep things under wraps. And, you know, this is terrible. I get that. Totally get it. But when you mentioned, you know, it needs to be reported. Do you actually see churches following through and reporting people of power that are in the church of these crimes? Because usually they're like, no, we're just going to cover it underneath the table like the Catholic church did. Do you see things being reported? Yeah. So when I worked in community settings, uh, I worked with kids. So I worked with 12 to 18 year old male victims of sexual abuse. That's what I did. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, any, any almost, well, not every case, but if it had not already been reported, then when a disclosure was made to me, you know, I would be required by law to report it and would follow through on that. Mm -hmm. Typically now I'm seeing somebody who's 30 who's saying, this is what happened to me when I was 12. Now, in most states, there's no statute of limitations on crimes against children. And so somebody at 30 absolutely could report what happened to them when they were 12. Um, I can't report it unless they want me to. So that's the difference. So I'm mandated to report if a child makes a disclosure, but I am not allowed to report if an adult makes a disclosure about what happened when they were a child. And the vast majority of people choose not to report because... And this is this is not a failure of the holiness movement. This is a failure of the criminal justice system that too many, too many people go through years of trying to uh, make make accurate statements. And at the end of the day, you know, they spend months and months and months trying to do this and justice is not served anyway. Mm-hmm. So they've seen enough situations that people will will sit in my office or talk to me on Zoom and say it's not worth the risk of what this would do to me emotionally to relive this over and over and over again and not ever really know if if justice will come. In John's situation, this is a semi-public figure. And so even if he doesn't serve jail time, you know, John on some level feels like there's been some sort of justice meted out because, you know, I I assume he's going to I assume he lost his job and won't ever have that sort of high profile position. But the idea that that guy would go to prison uh, and John, I don't know if you're pursuing anything like that at all, but the idea that that guy would go to prison is very, very slight, you know, which, so it's a disincentive for people to come forward, yeah. not because of church failure, but because of legal system failure. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Well, we've been going about an hour. We should probably think about <laughs> wrapping it up, you think? Do you have any other advice, Andrew, about what we can do from here? Yeah, I was thinking about it, like any place that you yeah. know, people can learn more yes. about this. I know you've got a website too, if you want to Like, can they find, that. can Holiness young people find you, things like that? Because I'm sure this is going to get a lot of attention. Sure, absolutely. So so my website is just drandrewgram.com or they can find me on on Facebook or, or Twitter or wherever, um, those sorts of things. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's ways to report things anonymously. Um, you know, again, not, not every time will that sort of be investigated. A lot of things are different by jurisdiction, different States handle things differently. And that, that, that can make it difficult for me to make some sort of blanket statement about what you should do and exactly what will happen as a result. But typically, you know, I'll say this, if you've got not to equate traumatic sexual abuse of a child to a minor injury. But if you have a sliver on the bottom of your foot and you tell yourself that it's too painful to pull that sliver out, it's going to fester and fester and fester. And I, at one point, had a lady in her late 70s come to me and say she didn't want counseling, didn't want therapy. She just felt she needed to tell somebody her story and had somebody had recommended that she come. And she traveled here, traveled to Hope Sound, came to my office um, because she felt like she needed to just get it off her chest, what had happened to her 60 years ago, something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got to find the safe people in your life to, to share to share your story with. And, you know, if it's causing distress in your marriage, in your family, you know, at work, those sorts of things, then certainly there's, as we, as we said at the top of the show, right, there's no shame in reaching out to, to a counselor, reaching out to a therapist and saying, 
I need somebody to help me to re-walk through some of the darkest days of my life so that they aren't, I'm not reliving them over and over and over again. Yeah, I I just bring it up because I know personally, whenever a therapist or someone to talk to was brought up, oh, they're not of the holiness movement. They 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 won't understand. They're going to have a worldly view on things, which you know brings up why he is so special in this situation because he is a holiness gonna, yes. movement. You know, yeah. he believes in it, exactly and right. he's able to respond in a way that you know the church is going to be like, oh, okay. Yeah, he's actually one of us, and he feels this way. It right. might have a little bit more of an impact I was thinking the exact on young same people thing. or even their parents, grandparents, yeah. whoever it may be. But it's easy. Well, I mean, it's very easy to discount this show because we, we're not. Kane <laughs> Meanie's not the best looking dude sitting around talking into a microphone. <laughs> a couple, <laughs> a couple of rednecks says holler. But I think, and, yeah. and Andrew, I'm sure you uh, understand this. But I, I just hit me when you were telling me how powerful your position is right now. Yes. Like you said, to be talking from you're inside the house and that's more like that's where people yes. will, are more likely to listen. My, yes. my opinion. Yeah, that's, I know for sure. With like just the holiness group that I came from. Mm-hmm. Th- it's got to be from inside. It has to be from inside. Yeah. Cannot be, you know, Dr. James Dobson. Well, he left us. That's why he's, you right, know, right. I've that's, heard so many different yeah. people. And I'm kind of <laughs> like, yeah, but Dr. James Dobson was right about a lot of things and you still don't <laughs> listen. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, this is this has been very good, very powerful. A lot of good information here. Um, I like this when we get when we get educated people on that didn't yes. make us, you know, rising tide raises all boats. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate so much, Dr. Andrew. I, it, it's been really eye-opening for it's us. It's been very good. Thank you very much, Andrew. Yeah, I'm honored to be able to share and and John to share some time with you. I appreciate it. Yep. And if there's uh, Kanan, John, you guys got anything you want to say before we close it out? Just like uh, Andrew said, there's no shame in it. Get counseling, go to a therapist. After all this happened, I decided, hey, it's time to go back to counseling again. Opened up some fresh things. Started counseling again. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. There's no shame in it. And I don't even go to holiness one. I'm poor, so I go to I go to <laughs> one the government provides for me. Yes, hey. <laughs> Not, not that I'm in the house. I'm just on the porch. <laughs> I'm just on the porch. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Me and Kayla's out in the yard somewhere. Like in lawn yeah. chairs. <laughs> all right. That'll do it for us. We'll catch you all next time. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.